I have met the man. When I met him, he looked exactly like on TV. He's taller than you'd think. And he was wearing the denim, the Canadian tuxedo, and adjusting the timing on an old 70s Lincoln and an unassuming car that he was going to drive home that day. So I had like, and when I, I got there, they said, oh, they said, it's, it's good you came today. He just got his hair cut. Welcome to the Milk Bottle Shopify e-commerce podcast brought to you by Milk Bottle Labs, Ireland's top rated Shopify experts. Milk Bottle Labs build, upgrade, migrate and market Shopify and Shopify Plus stores all over the world. Milk Bottle will migrate you onto Shopify with zero interruption, guaranteed. Or optimize your Shopify store and maximize store sales. This podcast is kindly supported by our favorite Shopify app and the only app we install in every store. Rewind.io is the leading backup solution for your Shopify store. We'll talk more about Rewind later. Now over to your host, founder of Milk Bottle Labs, Keith Matthews. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Milk Bottle Shopify e-commerce podcast. Today I talked to a good friend of ours, Kurt Elster. Kurt is a Shopify expert based in Chicago and he runs EtherCycle. He has a very, very interesting history when it comes to e-commerce and he also has some interesting clients on his books one of which is none other than Jay Leno. And anybody who knows Jay Leno, I want to talk to them. This one was fun. So here goes. Kurt Elster, great to, to finally talk to you. We've known each other for a while. We've met each other on a couple of occasions. Welcome to the Mill Bottle e-commerce podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm well. My pleasure to be here. Yeah, I got one of your, your colleagues gave me a milk bottle filled with gummy milk <laughs> bottles sure, yeah. Yeah. in Have Toronto. Have you eaten them? I've, no, I'm, I don't dare eat them. Like, I don't think you guys were wearing gloves when you put these things together. <laughs> That's a good. That's a very good They're point. Purely decorative. <laughs> Kurt, you are based in Chicago. What time is it over there? It's 9 a.m. Bright good. and early. Bright and early. Irish people are obsessed with the time and the weather. So I have to ask you the time. I'm not going to ask you about the weather because I just checked. It's very similar to Dublin. It's 22 degrees. What do you call an individual? If you're from Ireland, you're Irish. If you're from Chicago, what, what's the what's the description? We would be Chicagoans. Chicagoans. I've never heard of that. Very good. So you are officially a Chicagoan. And uh, listen, thanks. It's it's great to have you on. You have a, a reputation that precedes you. You are the founder of, of EtherCycle. You're one of the most well-recognized Shopify experts. You run the unofficial Shopify e-commerce podcast, which I'll which we'll refer to later. So it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the line. I'd love you to go back and share with us how you ended up finding Shopify. I'm fascinated how people actually originally found the platform and ultimately, like ourselves, end up making a, a living off of a piece of software. So how did that happen? Well, 10 years ago, I was... Well, 2009, I, I tried to build an e-commerce platform. And it turns out it's really, really complicated and, and harder than we were able to achieve. And so a year to 24 months after that, we were trying to keep the lights on. So we started picking up local web design and development work. And it turned out like there was a real... We were coming out of a, a recession and people were starting to spend money again. And there was a real demand for it. And so among those, we had a friend who owned a local bike shop. And I'm a bike mechanic. I, I worked on and off in, in my friend's bike shop. is fun. And he said, Hey, you know websites... We hate our website. Like you can't actually buy anything from it. We've got no control over it. It looks bad. I mean, it was, they hated it. And so I said, well, 
you know, I, I keep reading in on Twitter and in web design blogs. I keep hearing about this thing called Shopify. Shopify sounds pretty good. It sounds easy. Sounds manageable. So customizable. It sounds like what you want. So let's let's try that. It's like a no nonsense approach that gets what you want. And so not knowing what we didn't know, we we went moonshot and our very first Shopify project was custom designing and developing a site for these guys. And we did. And to date, it is still up. The same site, it has been revised, but it's amlingcycle.com, A-M-L-I-N-G-S, amlingcycle.com. So you can see how a website ages and it looks really much better than it has any right to. And what what year was that? I think that was 2011. 2011. So the platform has probably gone through three or four, actually not that many upgrades, a, a couple of admin panel upgrades. Obviously, it's improving all the time. But to the end user, I suppose there's been a couple of major upgrades. So when you built that store, did you instantly see that there was a, a potential here? Or did you just think that it was it was another WordPress or another Squarespace or another, you know, just another platform. Did you enjoy it that much that you l- looked a bit further into the the partner channel, or was the partner channel even was it even alive at that time? It would have been, wouldn't it? I it was in its infancy. Was the Shopify Partners and Experts program, and we built it. And I just said, you know, I said, wow, that was really good. It was easy. It was well documented. It wasn't like the hair pulling experience we'd been having with WordPress and other. There were tons of these like bespoke goofball CMS platforms at that time. And having used it, we're like, okay, it's just, it, it's great. It's a tool in our toolbox. But we were still generous. We weren't ready to niche down. We were not, we had not yet realized the value. And then the father of the Shopify experts program, Dan Evale, reached out to us and said, hey, I saw you built a custom site on Shopify. Would you want to join the Shopify experts program? I said, oh yeah, why not? And I was really, I was honored that they had taken notice. So we signed up for that. And the first lead we got through it was this huge golf course. It is a Scottish-style golf course in Oregon called Bandon Dunes. And they were working with Chicago Agency to build a brochure site. And they wanted a matching Shopify store attached to it to sell merch. And I said, okay, yeah, we could build that. So like immediately we jumped into it, did our second project. It was pretty good. So I like this. And we started picking up more projects. And at the same time, we were still doing uh, fulfillment work for large creative agencies in Chicago, purely on WordPress. And we had this really big, beautiful nightmare of a project that everything that could go wrong went wrong. And at the end of it, I said, why are we doing this? Why, Why don't, instead of tearing our hair out with these low effective hourly rate WordPress projects, why don't we move to Shopify where we seem to just consistently do great work? And then like that should have been obvious sooner. It wasn't. And so we said, once I, I did that, I just declared myself the Shopify guy. And the amazing part was even with an email list of maybe a thousand people at that time, probably not even that, within 60 days, I was getting referrals from people I didn't know to people I didn't know saying, Hey, I know you're the Shopify guy. Can you help us? And so part of my success was just was niching down early and also being there. Early, it really, I, I hitched my cart to the right horse. Did you at that particular time, like you, you mentioned Dan there? So I, I would have been in touch with Dan in 2012, and then we would have got accredited in 2013. I mean, the Irish market is probably three or four years behind the US or the, the UK market in terms of growth. So it was early doors. Did you find yourself at that time having to sell the platform to the client, or was that already done? 
early on, yes, it was more, they said, all right, it really came up as, okay, we've narrowed it down to these two or three platforms, help. And at that time, you know, I had experience with a lot of different platforms. So before we narrowed down entirely on Shopify, I said, I built landing pages for a essentially a conversion rate optimization package, but personalized it to a variety of platforms and then had a landing page for each, sent traffic to it. So in doing that, I got to do the identical project across a variety of platforms, which was very interesting and enlightening. And without a doubt, we said, you know what? Shopify is the one to use. Yeah. Every single person that I know that has worked on other platforms says the same thing. And it's interesting to listen to other agencies that are are still grappling with other platforms who just seem sometimes refuse to actually admit that the platform is just so user-friendly from a developer, a partner, an expert and a merchant point of view that they're, I think they're actually missing out and it's, it's improving. Your analysis there is, is identical to the experience that we would have had in the early days. I had Kerr Whitaker on twice recently and I, I know that you attended his debrief event. And one of the questions that I had asked him initially, Kerr was actually working for Shopify for about, I think, just under seven years. And I asked Kerr, did he realize in the early days that it was going to be as big? And I'll ask you the same. Did you realize that you were probably ahead of most people, but also did you think it was going to explode the way it did in light of Amazon's growth? Obviously, Amazon is a marketplace and not a platform, but did you think it was going to be as big as it is now? I would love to tell you that I knew (laughs) (laughs) that I absolutely, I said, you know what? I have total confidence. I am going to do nothing but Shopify. I'm going to invest entirely in Shopify because I know that e-commerce will be huge, Shopify will be huge, and I will be driving an absurd car in a big house. I knew none of that. I was terrified. The whole thing was a gamble. And I was like, all right, I think this is the safest bet. Because really, I'm very risk-averse. I don't think people realize that. But yeah, that's what... (laughs) No, I, I was like, well, of my options, I think this is the least, the least risky. Let's do this. That's the dark truth. It is. Yeah. I took a different kind of approach. I ran it part-time for quite a while, so there was less of a risk. And then when Milk Bottle Labs had enough business to actually go full-time, then I, then I jumped ship. So I didn't have that. I one day just quit my job and said, I'm going to build an e-commerce platform. Literally quit my job with no plan. The next day said, I'm going to build an e-commerce platform. Grabbed a friend who'd been laid off because of the recession and had unemployment. So he had nothing to lose. My expenses were super low and I had savings. So I'm like, let's just do this. And then at that when that didn't work out, it's like, well, I got to keep the lights on. So start selling WordPress sites. And then WordPress was painful. So I'm like, all right, we have the most success in e-commerce because it wasn't like... The advantage to e-commerce wasn't, was that when you do design for a brochure site, it's like, well, my dog, the client's like, my dog doesn't like blue. It's very subjective, right? So you can't use yeah. blue versus e-commerce. It's, hey, if we put the headline here and the call to action here and we phrase it this way, average order value and conversion rates are going to go up in over 12 months. We could predict changing you know, this layout in 15 minutes is worth $50,000. Should we do that? Yeah. And it's very easy then for both the client, the designer to go, yes, I think we should. And that was my big attraction to e-commerce was the, it took away the squishy, subjective parts of design and made it very quantifiably great. So we said, quit my job. I hated my job. I gave one week notice and I didn't have a plan. So I said, I'm going to build... A day later, I said, I'm going to build my own e-commerce platform. Oh my gosh. 
that I did not know what I was getting into. And there could be advantage to that. Had I known what I didn't know, I would not have attempted it. But I tried it and I failed. And you know what? In the time we set up the infrastructure, we were working and we had people misunderstanding what we did and saying, can you help us with our own websites? Can you build us a brochure site? Can you fix our site? Because people were spending, starting to spend money again after the recession. And so I'm not going to turn the, the work away. So yeah, yeah, we could do that. We'll figure it out. We started building these brochure sites and then these WordPress sites. And the first site I sold, the first time I sold a site for like two grand, I thought it was criminal. I was like, how can you even charge this much for a website? And then little did I know, within two years, we've charged 50 grand for a website, which I also thought was, was flatly insane and quickly discovered was not. The first site that we ever built, I did it for free. <laughs> I'm sure I did too. I did. I picked up a newspaper and I found a business that was launching. I checked their web domain. They had no website. And I built them a Shopify store for free. And that was one of the stores that got us accredited as one of the Shopify experts in Ireland. So The first Shopify store we built, there is no way I charged more than $2,000. It's funny you say at the time, you thought that that was insane to charge you. Now, I don't have, like a, I don't have a single service offering for $2,000. Very few successful experts actually would ever, I think, have that at the moment. You know, well, depending on where you go, where you're based, I guess. But was that original company, Kurt, was that called EtherCycle? Because the next question is, this, what you're describing, obviously evolved into EtherCycle. But where did the name of EtherCycle come from? So I said, originally, we were going to build an e-commerce platform. And the target market for the e-commerce platform, because we had experience, because we had industry connections, and because it was underserved, was was bike shops. So it was a and even then, 10 years ago, trying to find a domain name was absurdly difficult. So we all the good ones were taken even a decade ago. So we said, all right, we got to make up a name. So it's a portmanteau of Ethernet and bicycle, Ethercycle. And once we had it, it we kept it at stuck. I don't truthfully I don't love it, but the big advantage to it is when you have a 10 character made up name then like you could register that everywhere on any platform, whatever it all, the handle always is available and works. And so it makes for uh, an interesting talking point on occasion. Though I'm far enough along in my career, no one questions it anymore. Very rare like that people ask, they just accept it. The only reason I questioned it was because I did hear you talk about it in the past. Is that an outrun logo st- or text style that you're using in it? <laughs> yes. The goal I, I said... That. I knew it when I saw it. I thought that. Two years ago, I said... I'm like, well, I had designed the original logo and I am by no means a logo designer. I said, we got to... And I hated the brand name. Really, I did. And I said, you know what? What if changing the name is not ideal? What if I make the brand name work? And I started to get into that outrun style, which now has grown so large. It's it's called Vaporwave Aesthetic. We said, I went on... What's that site? 99designs. And I said, I want an outrun style logo. I want a logo that is, quote, 90s rad. And I'm 36, so I grew up with that. So I, I, I know it when I see it. So we had, we went through several visions with 99 designs. We got the logo, and then I did the cool, like the, the current purple, purple pink logo gradient color on it. And once I did that, and like I owned the brand and reinvented it, then I, I fell in love with it again. So like everything, my business cards, you know, these bright, bright pink with like 8 bit text on them. So we, we made it work. Let's take a short break and I'll share the one app we install on every Shopify build. The team at Rewind.io have developed the leading backup solution for Shopify. 
Did you know there is no way of recovering lost data from a Shopify store? Rewind.io automatically backs up your store data. In the event of a data loss, usually due to human error, Rewind enables you to rewind your store back to its previous state. It's so simple and is used by some of the world's leading Shopify agencies, such as Kurt Elster of EtherCycle and Kelly Vaughan at the top room. If your store is gaining traction, you may have multiple users making changes. Often store owners allow team or app developers enter a store to add code. Sometimes mistakes happen and data gets deleted. You can reduce your business risk today and prevent a costly catastrophe by installing the Rewind.io app on your Shopify store. Get your first month of Rewind for free by simply responding to any of the welcome messages or emails you receive after you begin your seven-day trial and mention this podcast. Now, back to the interview. So you've described the start and you've described how you found Shopify. You're currently running a particularly successful agency. And I mean, I've, I've been following you guys for years. Just one question in terms of one customer. How does a guy like you sitting in Chicago pick up a customer like Jay Leno? So, all right, this is an excellent business lesson. And thank, I have been to Jay Leno's garage. I'm a car guy, so this is like car guy mecca. I have met the man. When I met him, he looked exactly like on TV. He's taller than you'd think. <laughs> oh. And he was wearing the denim, the Canadian tuxedo, and adjusting the timing on an old 70s Lincoln and an unassuming car that he was going to drive home that day. Yeah. So I had like, and when I, I got there, they said, oh, they said, it's, it's good you came today. He just got his haircut. So like, he's looking the most like a Jay Leno. <laughs> Um, but that was well after we'd built his site. So oh, okay. I, and when, oh, when I met him, I completely panicked. I was so focused on not sounding stupid that I yeah. basically just went up and was like, hi, I like cars. <laughs> okay, bye. I mean, yeah. I'm embarrassed by it, but I did not ask him the, I said, what's the one question everybody asked him that I shouldn't ask him? They said, they said, don't ask him what his favorite car is because he's just going to tell you he loves them all. That's yeah. why he owns them. Yeah. And truthfully, the guy's actually, he's really has as many motorcycles as cars and is really into steam powered cars. Anyway, so focusing, I was in the Shopify Facebook Plus group and someone posted and said, Hey, I just want to introduce myself. My name's Nick and I manage this brand. And it was Leno's Garage. So I commented, I just said, Oh, this is super cool. I'm a car guy. I am so thrilled to see this on Plus and this looks amazing. I, I can't believe it. And so the guy messaged me. He's like, hey, I really appreciate the kind words. Let me send you a detail box. It's okay. I got it. I said, wow, this is really great. Looks great. It's a wonderful presentation. I love it. And he goes, oh, okay, cool. Is there any way we could work together? I said, yeah, let me uh, put together a screencast for you. And I'll show you. Here's just like, you know, five to 10 minutes on here's some ideas to approve the site, take it or leave it. And that turned into a phone call, turned into an engagement. And we shored up the site, started doing maintenance for them. Within a year, we completely rebuilt the site, relaunched it on Turbo, and went through rounds of maintenance with that. And now they're just, they're a, a scrappy team. And what's really interesting about it, they were literally the guys doing the detail work in Jay's garage. And they went to him after like doing it for I don't know how long and said, Hey, and they were doing custom formulations for products that they were like making. And they said, Hey, we would love to sell this stuff direct to consumer. And we we would like you to be a part of it. And what's interesting about Jay Leno is he roots for the underdog. And so he said, yeah, I would, I would love to be involved. So these guys were actually product experts without, without really knowing it. Yeah, actually, I, yeah, they came from, it was like the guy who started it had a construction background. And then that turned into like, he was like, I could build 
He had a knowledge of chemistry and he's like, I can make a better car detailing product. And it started with a single product. And then they ended up providing detailing work for Jay Leno. And the first task he gave them, he said it was on his first exotic cars, this Lambo. I think it's a an 80s Countach. And what's cool about it is they have, this is one of the cars they've chosen intentionally not to restore. So when you get up close to it, you can see the there's this really wide door panel when you're getting out of it. And his butt has rubbed on it enough times that it's worn. And so it's like, <laughs> I love it. What's more interesting than the cars they've perfectly restored are the cars that they have chosen to leave a little bit unrestored. He said, listen, I can never, we've never been able to get the wheels right on this car. If you can get these wheels right, you got the job. And so they sat, they hand polished wheels for like a week. And that's how they they got the job. That's really, that's how it started. It's like, everyone thinks, oh, it's Jay Leto, it's the celebrity. So they just like make money no matter what they do. And it isn't the case. It's still a, that entrepreneurial story when you look for it. Your reference there to Jay supporting the guys and giving them a bit of support to get it off the ground is just typical of a lot of, you know, a lot of successful sports stars and celebrities where the truth is, is that they help a lot of people. It's a great story. I, I watch his videos on the channel and... Oh, they're so... Oh, oh they're brilliant. They're, when I was there, they were filming one. They were wrapping one up. It was so cool to watch. Oh, how, wh- which car was it? Can you remember? It was the Bugatti EB100. Wow, wow. It's, it's blue. It's really cool. It wasn't his, it was somebody else's. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the the Lamborghini because I watched that episode recently and I think like that was his daily driver for a good while. Like he, he actually, yeah. you know, I'm one of the first that he bought actually. I think it was 1987 or 1988. Yeah, that was like his first exotic car. He loved it. He drove it all the time. The guy's the real deal. That's great. For you as a, as a business person as well, it's great to have that on your portfolio, isn't it? Has it resulted, I'm assuming it's resulted in attention, but has it, has it resulted in some, in some business for you? Oh, 100%. I mean, it's immediate... It is immediate social proof in itself right. when you could put those those big names out there. And the silly part is like, you know, what's working with Jay Leno like that's different than working with, you know, someone selling watch bands out of their garage, like leather goods, handmade wallets. It really, it's very much the same. You are doing the same work. So if you're thinking, if you're listening to it and you're thinking to yourself like, well, I could never work with someone like that. You're doing the same damn work, no matter what. And once you realize that, it it is powerfully freeing. But no, without a doubt, I mean, it, it's tremendous social proof, especially if you're in that space. Because like we worked on that site and then we were able to work on... That gave us enough credibility to work with Hoonigan, which is a huge, big automotive lifestyle brand with 20 million YouTube subscribers. You know, it's not a household name like Jay Leno, but they're still... They're huge and they take it, take it seriously. And then another detailing brand, Adams Polishes, which is a monster, monster detailing brand. So yeah, it absolutely... like. The work you show is the work you'll attract. So by sharing our work with Jay Leno, okay, we're able to attract similar or attract other automotive brands. And by showing a lot of like, I direct to consumers huge right now. I love direct to consumer brands. They are they are a lot of fun to work with. CPG brands. So by sharing that work, that's that's the work you attract. That's a good piece of advice. To get the work you want, share the work that's most like it, and don't share the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, if it's like early on, I consulted on a sex toy store and we're, you know, my wife and I are entirely sex positive. So there's no shame in it, but I don't want to be the sex toy store guy. (laughs) So I never shared that anywhere. Right. And if you on your site, you share a bunch of unrelated things, maybe like you're proud of it. They're cool, but there's no common thread and you share that work. Well, you're not going to be known as having a specialty in anything. So like, yeah, there are projects I absolutely love that I did, but they don't fit into that core 
like what it, the the core themes we're looking for in clients. So it breaks my heart, but I don't share them. Or we used to have all these fun side projects, but they were just distractions, and I sold them all on uh, Flippa a couple of years ago, and that that was smart. You know, getting rid of those those things that don't fit your core goals, that don't fit your focus. Several years ago, internalized this idea that you have to look for. You have to ask yourself before you do something, does this help me get closer to my goals? And when you start doing that, you discover like, oh, you get to your cult, your goals that much faster, right? Like at the end of the month, if you look back and go, wow, I wanted to do all these things, it feels like I moved an inch in every direction as opposed to a mile forward. That just means you're doing, lot, you're doing lots of stuff and you're busy and that's great and it feels good but it's not necessarily getting you closer to your goals. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's funny you say that. I had uh, I interviewed Jay Myers recently from Bold. I mean, you know, I know that you know Jay. He is the nicest man alive. He's nice by Canadian standards. <laughs> and that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. He just made the exact point that you made about, we say over here, staying in your lane. Instead of doing, yeah. you know, they had, I think they had 30 apps at one stage in development or on the app store. And then they stripped it down to, I think, 21 or 22. And... It, ourselves in a milk bottle were doing, you know, uh, social media, AdWords, advertising, all sorts of different services. And the truth is, is that the Shopify platform is is improving and changing so so quickly. We have enough of a job to stay in touch with the platform and be experts in that. So you're, you're right. Other, other projects sometimes become a distraction. One thing that is certainly not a distraction is the unofficial Shopify podcast. For the listeners uh, as well, I'm on a we're we're on a Slack channel which which you run and you own and you're extremely helpful, you're extremely open. If there's anything out there that you can share with me or a few of the other members, we all mutually benefit and you know, I'll thank you publicly for the assistance there on that and hopefully we've been assisting as well on mutually assisting. But even before I started this podcast, you advised me on the equipment, you advised me on what to do. So I'd love you to explain to the listeners what the unofficial Shopify podcast is, because if there's a Shopify merchant listening here and they're not tuned into the podcast, they're missing out. So just give us a lowdown on it. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. <laughs> I'm your host, Kurt Elster. My, you were waiting to do that, weren't you? <laughs> yes. My business partner and sometimes co-host makes fun of me. So that's your podcast voice. And he yeah. does it. And like he does it with this very exaggerated cadence, um, <laughs> which has only made like me doing it that much more more exaggerated. Four, four and a half years ago, I wanted to start, I'd been talking about, thinking about starting a podcast. And really it was like, podcasts seem cool. I was listening to a lot of NPR's podcasts are really great at that time. This is like a little bit before the podcasting boom. And I thought, I want to start a podcast. And like, I'm a gadget guy. I love gear. I'm like, man, I could, this would give me an excuse to buy a mic. That would be cool, right? And I had like even helped worked part time in a studio once, so I, I it was something I was interested in. But I knew from that experience that the editing is a nightmare, as you know. Like if you're listening to a 30 minute podcast, it took 60 minimum 60 minutes to edit, minimum. if not more. Yeah, and it depends on if the person says um a lot, how much you want, etc. Have you noticed? I've tried not to interrupt you, and I'm on mute most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know. When you, if you mute people at all, people hate, or I'm sorry, interrupt guests at all as a host. <laughs> yeah. Listeners hate that. I, that like, I have a few one star reviews and they're like, he interrupts his guests. <laughs> like, well, sometimes you just got to keep the thing on track, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to start a podcast just so I could play with microphones. And I thought, yeah, I might be good at it. And I had interviewed, I'd been a guest on several shows and several of the interviewers said, oh, man, the host said, oh, you would make 
a good podcast host. You should start your own podcast. Well, after like three people tell you that, you got to start believing it. So I did it. And my business partner, I was like, I want to do it. These people say I should do it. I think it's valuable, but I don't want to edit it. My business partner goes, you know, I used to edit the Onions podcast, right? I said, I didn't know that. So now I had no excuse. I had to do it. So I did it. We put it out there. And first month, we got 200 listeners. Second month, we got 500 listeners. And now, five, almost five years later, I think it'll be five years in October, we're at a million downloads. I mean, that's incredible that someone has taken the time to listen to me that many times. And very similar to your show, the audience is primarily Shopify merchants, merchants of all sizes. I mean, we got our largest client was a podcast listener. There are other advanced marketers like ourselves and even Shopify folk, Shopify employees and support staff. Give it a listen. So no, I'm proud of it. It's been a tremendous resource. And I view it as what I get out of it is number, it's lead gen, but it's my continuing professional education. So like really what people are hearing is just me learning something along with them. And that format, while initially not intentional, has become tremendously valuable. Yeah, but Kurt, I think, uh, I I don't think you're giving yourself credit. You're you're learning, but you're also sharing that learning. And the other question is, I mean, we publish the Milk Bottle Shopify podcast uh, once every three to four weeks. And you, how often do you publish? Is it every week or every two weeks? Every week. In terms of time, are you publishing that often that you just automatically switch on record and you just, you're so experienced that you can do it? Or are you investing a lot of time into each episode? No, it uh, it's streamlined. So the advantage to, you do the same thing 200 times, you will get good at it. We've got 250 episodes and we streamlined it where I know what a what a good guest potentially is like. And we've got an onboarding process that makes it very quick for the guest to get me all the relevant info I need to book the show. And then, you know, I'm comfortable showing up and doing the interview. And really, I say, like, we agree on a topic. I ask them, give me three to four questions. That way, they're prepared. I'm prepared. And then I fill it in with, all right, like, here's the main question. And then, well, that they know I'm going to ask. But then I'm going to build on that with, like, two follow-ups, two follow-ups. Then, all right, to show that that we understand the concept, I'm going to summarize what we just learned. And that's kind of the... Like, you'll just... When you listen to interviews... Like if you listen to Howard Stern interviews or Larry King interviews, you suddenly realize like there's a cadence to it. And there is generally the same format. Like in both of those, it's they're going to walk through a journey. And so with business stuff, it's really easy. How'd you get started? Where'd the idea come from? Oh, what'd you do next? What'd you do next? What'd you do next? And then you could summarize those like key points along the way. Has there ever been a situation where you've been at the other end of the line and the, and the other individual has just been very, very difficult to get information out of? I mean, I, I've had that on one occasion and it's absolutely painful. <laughs> yes. And that's where you need to, you need to self-edit and throw podcasts out. I mean, yeah. we interviewed a guy recently. I don't want my show to be political. And so we interviewed a guy recently and unbeknownst to me, he had actually been on Fox News a whole bunch of times and was agitating for this very conservative point. And no matter what I did, kept working it back into the conversation. So this would have been a big guest, a good guest to get and driven and helped expand the show and been engaging. And I, it was so purely political, I had to toss it. And like as much as I tried to steer it away from that and back on course, it kept going back to it. Yeah. So it pained me, but it's like, okay, that's, you know, two, three hours gone. But it, I had to delete it and just give up on it. Interesting. Kurt, 
Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and keep up the good work. We'll put the references to the to the podcast and to Ether Cycle in the show notes. Oh, yep, absolutely. If you send me an interesting question, I will absolutely send you back a response. Google me, Kurt Elster, go to kurtelster.com, sign up for my newsletter. That comes from my actual email address. So that will get you on the, the newsletter for the podcast. But if you reply to any of those emails with a question, I will do my best to answer it. Major killer. <laughs> Thanks very much, Kurt. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Milk Bottle Shopify e-commerce podcast. All of our episodes are available on Spotify and iTunes. We really appreciate the support of our sponsor, Rewind.io, the leading backup solution for your Shopify store. Get your first month of Rewind for free. Just respond to any of the welcome messages or emails after you begin your seven-day free trial and mention our podcast. Until the next time, take care.